Good morning. How are you today? Good. Good. I know like two people have already asked you that, but you can just answer again. Um, Some of you for the very first time. Uh, We have been in a series over the last, uh, this is the fourth week, and it's called Hashtag Blessed. And we are asking the question, what does it mean to be blessed? And I've started all, uh, this is the fourth time, started all of these messages the exact same way, just copy and paste, want to just bring us all up to speed. Um, But this week I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've been telling you that a lot of times when people think of the word blessed, they often think about things like being married, having kids, going on vacation, having nice things. We often think about being blessed in a material way. And just to prove it to you, I did some research on Instagram this uh, past Thursday, and I found some pictures with the hashtag blessed, just to show you what people actually consider blessing. And I would just say, don't do that. It was a bad idea. But I did find some pictures. Here's the first one, hashtag blessed. Um, These people look like they belong on the cover of an Abercrombie catalog. Um, They're just very great and they just put hashtag blessed and look at them, they're happy, that little girl is beautiful and they just got, and that guy's in amazing shape, we actually work out together and so it's just uh, really cool. The next slide, Um, oh my goodness, hashtag blessed, I'm engaged, Uh, they don't know what's coming. Next slide, Um, look at this guy, hashtag blessed. That looks like blessed, doesn't it? Like some of you are like, that feels like better than this. Like that would be good. Just me, my dog, some huge waves on the beach. That is the blessed life. Uh, Here's the next slide. Um, Isn't that sweet? The wedding day. uh, She found the man of her dream. She just happens to be nuzzling her head directly into his chest. He's caressing her ear. And this is how they're going to start every morning for the next 50 years. Hashtag blessed. And the next one, uh, this is my personal favorite. That's that's Dumbo. Uh, many of you know how fond I am of Disney World and uh, how it's just an enormous blessing to be able to go to Disney. And so this was a, I don't know any of these people, by the way. So if you know them, if you know their handle here, I apologize. You can just, you know, I'll send them a letter. Um, but, you know, Dumbo, if you're at Disney World, you are hashtag blessed. And then this is my, my favorite one, Michael Jackson. I don't, I don't really know why this is hashtag blessed. I mean, maybe Michael Jackson is hashtag blessed, but um, I mean, hashtag blessed and an awesome dancer and a great singer. And uh, so you just kind of realize that when people define blessing, they have all kinds of ideas. But here's some pictures that might describe what Jesus considers blessed. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Hey, you know what I didn't find on Instagram? Pictures of homeless people in poverty saying hashtag blessed. The next one, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. No pictures at a funeral with people wailing, hashtag blessed. But Jesus says, when you mourn, you're blessed. And then this final picture, we talked last week about being meek. We talked about how being meek is about surrender. No one with their hands up saying, I surrender waving the white flag over their life, saying, God, my life completely belongs to you. There's no hashtag blessed in the ways that we usually think about. We have been learning what it means to be blessed, according to Jesus, by looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are at the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon. Maybe you don't know it. Uh, It's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, and it's a, a famous teaching block that Jesus gave. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you just wanted like a summary of it, it teaches us how followers of Jesus, how disciples of Jesus are supposed to live. 
But Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes come before Jesus tells us what to do. Because before we can follow Jesus, in the Beatitudes we learn who we must be. So we've been making this distinction that Jesus wants us to be before he wants us to do. Quite simply, the Beatitudes describe the spiritual condition a person must be in before they can follow Jesus. Now, one important thing to keep in mind when it comes to the Beatitudes is that they build on one another. Think of the Beatitudes like a ladder. In order to climb a ladder, you put your foot on the bottom rung and you proceed upwards. You can't climb a ladder by starting in the second rung from the top unless you have incredibly long legs and the ladder is only three rungs high. But just picture you have to climb to the top of your roof and you need a ladder and you need to start at the bottom. In order to be in the necessary spiritual condition to follow Jesus, you have to begin with the first beatitude. So Jesus begins by saying we must be poor in spirit. We can't follow him until we realize we are in spiritual poverty and are deeply in need of Jesus. Then Jesus says we have to mourn over our sin. We must grieve over the fact that we are sinful and then turn from our sin and follow him. And last week, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. We must be totally surrendered. And when we're totally surrendered to God, that results in humility and gentleness towards other people in our lives. So the first three Beatitudes all have one thing in common, and I could summarize the first three Beatitudes with the word emptiness, emptiness. Jesus is wanting us to see that without him we are empty. We are spiritually impoverished, sinful, and desperately in need of his leadership. I hope that over these last three weeks, you've sensed your need. You've sensed that you bring nothing to the table except your broken life to God. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't want us to to feel our emptiness and leave us there. He wants us to know the place we can find lasting satisfaction. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray together. Lord, in our remaining time together, I ask you that you would speak to our hearts. I ask you to help us to know what it means to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Lord, do the work that only you can do in this place. Lord, we ask for your peace, and we ask for open ears and open hearts. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? I want to talk to you about two different kinds of righteousness we find in the Bible. In order to know what Jesus is asking us to be hungry and thirsty for, we need to understand what Jesus means by the word righteous. We understand hunger and thirst like because we're human beings. But we may not understand what Jesus is trying to get at when he tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the first kind of righteousness I want to talk to you about is the righteousness we receive. The righteousness we receive. Starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 18... The Apostle Paul, 
The Apostle Paul, who wrote um, not all the New Testament, but wrote several books in the New Testament, probably up to 13 letters in the New Testament, he hated Christians. He absolutely did not want to follow Jesus. He was actually trying to persecute and throw in jail people who followed Jesus. And one day, Jesus met him as he was traveling on the road. He fell down, and he said, Saul, you are going to follow me, and you are going to be my witness to the Gentiles, to everyone who's not Jewish, basically. And so Paul, uh, his name was Saul, Jesus changed his name to Paul, and then he began to do incredible things for God. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul was passionate about was preaching the gospel. And what he wanted us to know before he shares the gospel is how in need we are of the gospel. See, Paul knew that in order for us to really understand the good news of the gospel, we have to have some kind of sense of the bad news about who we are. And so Paul makes this case over and over again from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that there is nothing that any of us can do to be accepted or approved by God through our own effort, our own obedience, or our own goodness. We are totally unrighteous apart from Christ. And what Paul wants us to do is feel the weight that we are completely guilty before God and that our sinfulness and unrighteousness has separated us from God. And the only thing that we can expect because we are unrighteous is the wrath of God. And so Paul writes all this so that we feel that our spiritual condition is incredibly hopeless. But ultimately, Paul doesn't tell us that we're unrighteous and we're sinful and we're separated from God to beat us down and to condemn us. The reason he does that is to make us hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of another. Paul says this in Romans 3 verses 21 through 24. He says, but now a righteousness from God. So Paul's making the point, you're not righteous at all. And then he says, but now but now I have some good news. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. No one could ever be righteous by following the law, but that's the only way people knew to try to be righteous. No one ever followed the law perfectly, but some people were trying. But Paul says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here is the good news. Here is the best news in all the world. Don't turn on the regular news. It's all bad news. But this is the good news and the only place to find good news. When a person no matter who they are, and this applies to you if you're not sure where you're at with Jesus this morning, when a person, no matter who they are or what they have done, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, meaning they put the full weight of their hope, the full weight of their trust, they stake their life on Christ, they instantly, everyone say instantly, instantly receive the righteousness of God. Meaning, what does it mean to receive the righteousness of God? Meaning that when God sees a person who has said, I trust Jesus Christ, I need his righteousness. 
When God sees them, he doesn't see their shame, their guilt, or their sinfulness. He sees them as perfect. Perfect. Do you know this morning that if you are in Christ, God is looking down and he is not seeing all the filth and all the junk and all the ways that you know that you're not like Christ yet. And even this morning we sang, all I want is to be like you, Jesus. You remember we just sang that? But he actually knows that there's other things we want and sometimes the things we want get ahead of wanting to be like Jesus. And do you know that when our faith is in Jesus, God is so gracious and God is so good that when he looks down and he sees us, when we're in Christ, he sees perfect righteousness. Paul describes this as being justified. It means we are declared not guilty before God because he has gifted to us his righteousness. It means we are completely accepted by God through grace and not through our own effort. And this righteousness cannot be taken from us. And there is nothing, nothing that you can do There is nothing that I can do apart from putting my faith in Jesus Christ that would ever make me more acceptable or more loved by God because we possess righteousness through faith, not through works. That's the gospel. That's good news. But why did I tell you all that? I told you that because it's good news, but I also told you that because that's actually not what Jesus is telling to be hungry and thirsty for. Jesus is not telling us to be hungry and thirsty for something we already have. If you put your faith in Christ, you have his righteousness. You don't need to be hungry and thirsty for this kind of righteousness. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the righteousness that we are supposed to pursue. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word righteousness four more times. I want to try to kind of help us understand what Jesus means by be hungry and thirsty for righteousness by looking at how Jesus uses this word righteous. So in the last beatitude, Matthew 5 verse 10, Jesus says we are blessed when we are persecuted because of righteousness. Meaning, meaning that there's a way to live, there's a righteous way of living that will invite some people to persecute us. You're like, I don't know if I want to be hungry and thirsty for that kind of righteousness. But Jesus says we're blessed if we are. So there's a way to be righteous that invites persecution from some people. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a shocking statement to Jesus' first listeners. The Pharisees were the most righteous people in the world. Everyone thought that these were the true, spiritually elite people. You wanted to be a Pharisee and they would never let you become one because they made so many rules. And they thought they were so righteous. And Jesus comes along and has the audacity to say, hey, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs. The Pharisees had concocted a religious system built around intricate religious rules and regulations. It was a very professional religion. It was very routine and it was very dead. It was like putting deodorant on after a workout without taking a shower. Anyone ever done that before? Like, I don't really have time to shower, but I smell like a barn, so I'm going to put on a lot of cologne and deodorant. 
Do you know the reality of what you just did? You might smell better, but you're still dirty. Like you've covered the yuck, but you are only going to fool people for a few minutes. Jesus wants, the, wants his followers to have the kind of righteousness that flows out of a heart that deeply loves him. He wants us to pursue a righteousness that changes us from the inside out. And then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, third time he uses the word righteousness. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to talk about prayer and fasting and giving. So Jesus calls like prayer and fasting and giving righteousness. He calls those righteous acts. Things we do because we're followers of Jesus. And then finally in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, Jesus says this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So this kind of righteousness we should be seeking. And all these things will be given to you as well. So in that passage, Jesus is talking about, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the birds of the air. Look at how God takes care of them. Don't make your life about running after material possessions. But instead, seek the kingdom and seek the kingdom's righteousness. With all that said... What is the righteousness that Jesus wants us to hunger and thirst after? Here's what I think Jesus is talking about based on his use of the word righteousness. I think to hunger and thirst for righteousness is a deep desire to do God's will. I think it's a deep desire to be holy. I think it's a deep desire to obey God. I think it's a deep desire to know God and to be close to him. It's a deep desire to grow in love for God. It's a hunger to be like Jesus. To live like he lived and loved like he loved. Our spiritual condition should be marked by a desperation to become more and more like Christ. Not just something we sing about but something that we're hungry and thirsty for in our Monday through Saturdays. And so that brings us to a really important question. What are you hungry and thirsty for? Usually when we say we're hungry, what it means is, is that we ate breakfast early and lunch isn't until 12.30. Sometimes we might even get really hungry if we miss a meal. But this word hunger that Jesus uses is no mere reference to a hunger that could be satisfied by a granola bar at 10.30 a.m. Sometimes I do that at my desk. Many of us haven't experienced the kind of hunger Jesus is talking about here. Maybe you have been hungry before. But this kind of hunger is hunger that is related to starvation. Like if you don't get some food, you're going to die. When's the last time we've been that hungry? Similarly, the picture behind the word thirst is that of a person or an animal parched and exhausted. This is extreme hunger and extreme thirst. If I don't get the water and the food, I just might die. Now, I'm not sure I've ever been even remotely close to the physical hunger that Jesus describes here. I don't miss many meals. But I have experienced being extremely thirsty before. So, 
when I was playing basketball in high school, we had this coach, and uh, for whatever reason, this coach thought it was really important that we learned how to function without water. I don't know why he thought that. I don't think that would happen these days. I think that, you know, someone would eventually sue him. But we would practice for an hour, running wind sprints, running up and down the basketball court. We'd practice for an hour before he would give us our first water break. And it was terrible. And all you began to think about right around the 35-minute mark is the water fountain. And you just were waiting for him to blow the whistle. And you were just hoping, can I just go get some water? It's out of a tap. It's not through a Brita. I don't care. It doesn't taste that good. But I just need water desperately. And then there would come this moment where we would blow the whistle. And you go, all right, boys, go get some water. And about 12, 15-year-old boys would run to one water fountain in the hallway of my high school. And we would stand in line. And you would watch these young men drink from the water fountain like they were reuniting with a long lost love. Like I think there were some dudes who were like making out with the water fountain. Like it was just like get that water into me. And I just remember like I was always slow so I was usually in the back of the line like it just never worked well. And so I'd get in the line and I'd be standing there waiting and I'm like we only get like two minutes for this water break. Could you hustle? But I never forget the moment. I could still taste it. I could still feel that feeling of turning the knob and the water comes out and just trying to catch as much as possible. These were going to practice for another hour and it was going to be another hour before I was with my love again. Because I was so incredibly thirsty. If you were to think about your life over the last week or month, would you say that there has been a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? We live in a world where there are endless places people run to to try and satisfy their hunger and their thirst. Some of us are hungry to simply relax and chill and take it easy. Some of us are hungry to be entertained. Some of us are hungry for affirmation. Some of us are hungry for more stuff. Some of us are hungry for safety and security. Some of us are hungry for someone to love us. What are you hungry for? On Monday, I took my, my kids were off from school, and I took Joseph, Lucy, and Olivia to Shady Maple. Now, Shady Maple, for maybe the few of you that don't know, maybe you're from out of town, Shady Maple is this enormous smorgasbord out in Lancaster. The buffet line's about nine miles long, and there's like, you know, 8,000 people there at once, okay? Like, it's just a sight to see. So when you go to Shady Maple, it's like going to war. It's like my son Joseph, he said to me, I came home to pick him up to take him to Shady Maple. He's like, Dad, I didn't eat, I didn't eat, I didn't eat breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, I was going easy on breakfast too. Because this is a big moment. Like, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you get to Shady Maple, you don't, you don't eat a granola bar on the way. You're going to get there, and you're going to go for it. And you're going to get your $9 worth, or your $14 worth, or your $18 worth, depending on when you go. Those are the real prices. And what's amazing is, is you go up to this buffet and the plates are just strangely small. So you need to be able to hold two in one hand. And so you get the two plates and you start walking up and down the buffet line and you start to just fill your plate and you're like, I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to eat it. 
And then you get to your plate and you're just overflowing with food. And you pray and you know you shouldn't pray for the food because you know it's not good for you, but you pray anyway. And you begin to eat and you begin to move around your plate to the different things. That was really good. This was really good. I'm not eating that. And you just begin to feast and feast and feast. And I don't know if I've ever left Shady Maple not feeling a little bit sick. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Especially in a culture like ours, in a world like ours, there are hundreds and thousands of places to go to satisfy your hunger. The world is like a buffet similar to Shady Maple. There's hundreds of items and we try to find all kinds of things to satisfy us. And when one thing doesn't work, when one thing doesn't taste good, we just move on to the next, and to the next, and to the next. It is so easy to become a person who is hungry and thirsty and only trying to satisfy yourself on all that the world has to offer. If I had more money, I would be satisfied. If I had more stuff, I would be satisfied. If I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I'd be satisfied. If I could have another kid, I'd be satisfied. If I could just get that promotion at work, I would be satisfied. If I could take a vacation, I'd be satisfied. I hope Netflix is coming out with a new show soon because that's what I look for to make me satisfied. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. How can we grow? I want to just close with these three things. How can we grow our appetite for righteousness? Like if you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, I want to hunger and thirst like it's the food that will keep me living. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. How can I grow my appetite? Because our appetites can change. Based on what we take in, that's usually what we desire. So if you eat a lot of sugar, you find yourself wanting more and more sugar. But when you starve yourself from sugar, after about two weeks, three weeks, a month, sugar is no longer attractive to you because your appetite has changed. So I'm asking the question, how can we grow our appetites for righteousness? These are all food-related. There's a lot of food in this sermon. Here's number one. Avoid rotten food. Avoid rotten food. If you really want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, doesn't it make sense to avoid things that are unrighteous? To put it another way, if you really want to grow in your passion to know God, doesn't it make sense to avoid things that dull your passion? We know how to avoid things. Like right now, I don't know, my kids are in school, in your neighborhood. There's a lot of kids that are what? Sick, right? Stomach bug, the flu, colds. What do you do when someone has a stomach bug, the flu, or the cold? You avoid them. Hey, we actually can't get together tonight. That's not going to work. Hey, please don't send your kid into school tomorrow if they have the flu. That's not loving for the rest of us. 
When someone tells me they have the stomach bug, I run as fast as I can the other way for a full marathon. Like, I don't want to get that. Why? Because we avoid what will hurt us. And yet, some of us, we keep running to the things that are dulling our hunger and thirst for God. We keep going to the same places over and over again, and then we wonder, well, I'm not, I don't really know why I don't give a rip about Jesus. I don't really know why I'm going through the motions and my faith feels dry. Let's be real. There are things that some of us are into that are simply opposed to the will of God. And the more we feed on them, the less we want God. Here's the second thing we should do. We should go easy on dessert. Dessert is wonderful. Amen? Dessert is wonderful. But it has no nutritional value. And too much sugar will make you sick. There are a lot of things in life that we can give our time to that are not bad or wrong. They're not bad and they're not wrong. But overindulgence will dull our hunger and thirst for righteousness. What am I talking about? Like our hobbies, like Netflix, like social media, like working too much like taking too much time to relax, like little league sports, too much little league sports. Today, my baseball season starts, so I'll just say this now so that we're all on the same page. Too much little league will dull your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is little league bad? No. But organizing your life around Little League and not around the things of God is an absolute train wreck for your family. I know God is gracious. I know God is good. And I know that's slightly offensive to God when we make our lives all about our kids' sports and not about Him. And the message that sends to our kids, just so you know, they pick up on that. And then we wonder why, why some grow up and don't care for the things of God. Because we showed them with our actions that he is not glorious and beautiful and worthy. We've showed that he can be shoved to the side and picked back up again once the season ends. If a deep desire to know Jesus Christ and be like him is missing from your life. So just think about your life and think about your heart right now. If a deep desire to know Jesus Christ and be like him is missing from your life. It might not be because you're addicted to something terrible or doing something that is deeply sinful. It might be that you are giving all of your time and your hunger and your thirst to things that do not matter. Here's the third thing. Show up to eat. Show up to eat. We live in an on-demand culture. We don't like waiting and we don't like commercials. And most of us just want things to happen fast. How many of us like when things that we're waiting on happen really fast? That's me. I am wildly impatient. I want things to be done yesterday. I think a lot of us want to know God and become like Jesus. But I think a lot of us just want to be zapped. We just want God to zap us. God, will you just zap me and make me like you? And could you do it now? We want a deep relationship with Jesus without the commitment to developing a deep relationship with Jesus. A lot of us kind of approach our relationship with God like showing up at the gym. Have you ever gone to the gym to start a new workout plan? 
I've done that 187 times. And you get to the gym, and could you imagine if you got to the gym and you worked out for 30 minutes, and before you went to the gym, you weighed yourself, and you weighed 150, and you were trying to lose 10 pounds, and you get to the gym, and you weigh, and you, you weigh 150 before you get to the gym, and then you work out really hard, and then afterwards, you weigh yourself, and you weigh 149.9? Do we just throw up our hands, and we're like, this is not worth it? We hate process. But all of us know in our marriages and in in our relationships and in our friendships that matter, what is needed for the relationship to develop? Time, energy, commitment. If we are going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to pursue God and stay after it. We need to show up to eat every day. What if we thought about our relationship with Jesus like food and water for our soul? See, if we really bought into what Jesus was saying here, we would abandon all our excuses about why we don't spend time with Jesus day in and day out. Why we don't take time to read his word and to pray and to align our every decision with God's will. Here's what I know from my own life after a lot of failures. The more I pursue God, the more my hunger and thirst for him grows. The more I pursue God, the more my appetite for God grows. The less I pursue God, the more apathetic and self-centered I become. Several decades ago, A.W. Tozer wrote these words. He said this. This was several decades ago, but it's still very true today. Present-day evangelical Christianity is not producing saints. God is valued as being useful and Christ appreciated because of the predicaments he gets us out of, and I would add the parking spaces he gets us. He can deliver us from the consequences of our past. He can relax our nerves, give us peace of mind, and make our business a success. The all-consuming love that burns is foreign to the modern religious spirit. It does not have to be this way. Desiring God and hungering and thirsting after Him is actually not a burden. It's not a burden. It's the greatest blessing in life. So I close today with this question. Are you hungry and thirsty for more of Jesus? The promise Jesus makes us is amazing. When we hunger and thirst to know God and do his will, only then will we find the satisfaction that we are truly longing for. Jesus knows that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is the only way our hearts will be happy. We live in a land of unprecedented wealth, entertainment, and convenience. Isn't that true? In our nation, there is unprecedented wealth, entertainment, and convenience. And all that it has produced is emptiness and unmet longings. But when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God fills our soul. Our part is to seek Him. His part is to satisfy us. 
We will never discover anything in this world more satisfying than Jesus. And the beautiful truth is that the more we are satisfied by Jesus, the more hungry we find ourselves for him. I think a perfect illustration of hungering and thirsting for righteousness can be seen in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. I'll read it to you. The Apostle Paul says this about his own life. He says, yes, everything else is worthless. Do you feel this way? Come on, catch what he's saying here. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Garbage. That word in the original is actually like dung. Like Paul considers everything else that's not related to knowing Christ is garbage. So that I could gain Christ. So I'm willing to push everything in my life aside so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Jesus longs to become one with each of us this morning. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's the first kind of righteousness we talked about today. Paul's like, I don't rely on my obedience. I don't rely on my own goodness. I know that I bring nothing to God except my faith, and he gives me his righteousness. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then I, verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I think a lot of us would rewrite that. I want to be comfortable with him. No suffering, please. But remember, we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and then we're blessed. I want to suffer with him. I want to be so committed to the way of Christ that I'm willing to identify in his sufferings and join him in those. Sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. That is our destiny when we come to Jesus. You will die physically. But when your faith is in Jesus and you have the righteousness of God, you will rise from the grave one day. Our hope is resurrection. And so Jesus has given us these days to hunger and thirst for more of him, to do his will, to obey him, to love him, to love those he loves, to go to the nations like Eurasia and spread the gospel. May we be a people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to ask you today, what are you hungry for? 
What are you thirsty for? And there's maybe some people in this room that are hungry just to know Christ. They know that they've never surrendered their life to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you can give your heart to Christ today. We've seen several times this morning that it's by faith. You can put your faith in Jesus today and you will have the righteousness of God. All of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your past erased, forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, dying for you, rising for you. And he loves you deeply and he wants you as his son or his daughter. He wants you today to make him the leader and the savior of your life. And if that's you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to pray with me if that's you. And I want to just ask you to pray this from your heart. Jesus, I put my faith in you this morning. I want to follow you. I confess that I've done things I should not have done. I've said things I should not have said. And I need your forgiveness. And I turn my life over to you today. And I want to follow you. I don't want to make my life about me anymore. I want you to lead me. I want you to teach me what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. My life is yours. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today and you committed your life to Jesus Christ, would you let us know on the back of your orange card? And on the way out today, you can drop it in the bucket. In just a moment, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. If you need prayer for any reason this morning, you're walking through something painful, you have illness in your body, you just need God to come through for you, you're waiting on Him, you're just discouraged and depressed, and you just need someone to pray over your life, I would encourage you to hang out and come up front in just a moment and just receive prayer. And would you drop your orange cards in the bucket on the way out? When I say amen, our service is over. God bless you and we'll see you next week. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for more of Jesus. Lord, in my life and in every life in this room, we want you, God. Lord, we, we see our emptiness. Lord, help us not to make our lives about temporary things that fade away and won't matter two seconds after we're dead. Help us to make our lives about you, Jesus. Give us a heart of surrender, a willingness to follow you wherever you lead us. God, would you deal with us and would you show us where we're trying to find satisfaction in the wrong places? Lord, I pray you do the work in every heart, including mine, that you need to do. We love you this morning, Lord. We praise you and thank you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.